You're listening to the Short Shift Podcast, proud member of the Black and Gold Podcast Network. You can support the show by leaving a comment and five-star rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or any of your favorite podcast platforms. You can contact the show via Twitter at ShortShiftPod. Cynically acclaimed, incredibly online. It's Boston Hockey Talk with your hosts, Thomas Nystrom and Andrew Johnson. Enjoy the show. We are back for another short shift podcast. This is Thomas Nystrom, and I've got Andrew Johnson with me. Andrew, a couple of days off there, man. How are you feeling? It feels like forever since I've talked to you and even longer since I've watched a Bruins game. I know. This feels like this feels like this this feels like the offseason. Like with all these games crammed together, um, all of this, these this COVID shenanigans has made these five days seem like five years. And it really does. It really does feel like forever. And you said off camera, the Super Bowl kind of compounded it. But I'm ready. But we're uh, we're playing tonight and uh, hope to uh, get back, get back into the swing of things. Um, I do kind of want to touch on something, though. Um, for the first time, you were wrong, but it was because I dragged you down. I knew I knew I'd get to you. <laughs> I tried. I'm trying to lift you up. <laughs> and and you just pulled me right down to the cellar where oh, you are you try so hard but that's the, okay it didn't I mean, even matter I, I said three out of four points we took all four we theoretically could have lost in that first overtime mm-hmm. we theoretically could have not come back the next night too we're going to get into this comeback those comebacks but uh well, well let's let's start quickly just breaking down what we saw in the flyer series the Flyers are pretenders. They are, they are not the class. They are not the class of the East right now. Um, I think the first two games, you the first the first the first two game series, you can kind of give it a sort of yeah, okay, fine. That's just two games. But these next two games, it's just a, a pattern is starting to emerge. They they can't they are finish. skilled. They cannot finish the job and they are, if there's one thing that really stood out to me, it's that I thought maybe the lack of speed that this team has was kind of overblown. It's not, it is not at all. They are stone. They are a stone footed squad. And I know Elaine Vigneault is trying to get a lot of, is trying to, at some points, it looks like he's trying to get blood from a stone. They're not, they're not they're not the class. They're in that second tier of the East. They're in that second tier of the East. And Boston has proven that they are they are the top. They are the top team. They are the class, like I we mean, said last week. Game one, David Posternock basically did it on his own. Philadelphia, mm-hmm. again, like let alone the fact that they're slower on the defensive end or just in general, I guess. But yeah, slower. They, they did not body him whatsoever. There was that second goal. 
was yeah he was just by himself just waiting for a rebound. Yep. Yep. He's he literally he's he's the most talented offensive player on this team and nobody thought to just put a body on him. It was embarrassing for Philadelphia. And it's, I'll take it's, it, but Yes, exactly. And it's it speaks to a pattern too because think about the tying goal that Marshawn scored. Yep. In that scrum, you have all the flyers collapsing on top of Rask and two other forwards, and Marshawn's just standing there, just and just poked the puck in, like yeah. blown coverages all around. Yeah, Boston made them look slow and stupid on the game of the week, the NBC game of the week. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. if you can't get up for a national spotlight game, what are you doing? And granted, yeah, they they jumped out to a lead, but that was literally pasta willing them back into the game. And once they tied up the game, you pretty much knew, okay, they're going to win it. And then, of course, they're gifted a uh, a power play to start the extra period. And it was just a matter of seconds before Bergeron, again, just skates right into the crease. Bergeron's going to bury that all day. Bruins take the W. Yep, and that shows a lack of discipline on Philadelphia's part because that was a really stupid penalty that Kevin Hayes yeah. took. Look at the clock, man. Yep. I think, what was it, like, 15 seconds left in the third and you take a holding penalty? What are you doing? You take a holding penalty while the ice is tilted firmly in Boston's Boston's side of the ice and with a lethal power play. Like, there are good penalties and there are bad penalties and then there are, there's that. So it's, it's interesting, too. Some of my notes from game one was, obviously, the Bruins' defense wasn't playing up to what we've been expecting for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The flip side was... They had excellent puck movement. McAvoy looked incredibly comfortable, probably the most comfortable he's looked all season long with the puck on his stick, pushing it forward for the uh, uh, odd man rushes, even strength rushes, everything. Like McAvoy looked like the defensive, I guess, quarterback, as we've talked about on the podcast before. He looked more that part than he has the entire time we've been doing this podcast since the beginning of the season. There was the lack of discipline on defensive end. Rask bailed them out a couple of times. Rask also let in one goal that he probably should have had, but for the most part, I, I thought they, the game plan for Boston wasn't exactly what they wanted it to be in game one, but they came out on top. Game two, totally different story. Rask was unbelievable in game two. The defense was unbelievable in game two. It was it was uh, 27 seconds into the third period when James Van Riensdyk finally scored the first goal of that game. Yeah, and that was basically the first mistake they had made defensively all game. Yeah. Brandon, Brandon Carlo just sort of backed off and left Ram Van Riemsdyk all alone in yeah. in the paint, and that was a perfect tip-in. It took a perfect tip-in to beat Rask. Rask was fantastic in the second game. That penalty shot that Farabee took, Farabee had no shot. Farabee had no chance at that because Rask just closed the five-hole, and he had nothing. He had no net to shoot at. Yep. Um, and let's also not forget Reams that Van Reemsdijk's uh, goal came also on a power play. So it was a special right. teams giving up a goal. Yes. Rask Rask was brilliant. Maybe his best game we've seen all season. I would agree with that. And if you want to talk about the best game we've seen all season from a from a from a Bruin, I'm gonna give a quick shout out to somebody who I have continuously shit on. Um, but I will give the Nick Ritchie treatment just for this game. That was the best game I've seen Connor Clifton play in a, more than a year. Hayes had but, an excellent look, excellent look in that third period to take a two-goal lead, and Connor Clifton tied him up, didn't let him even get a shot off. Yep, yep. And that, it's, 
it should have it should have been an excellent chance and it was barely a shot on net yep yep clifton clifton was all over the ice he was buzzing but he was controlled which is all i want from him i yeah. I, I want him to be frenzied but i want that i want that controlled chaos that he's good at he doesn't have to uh Leon Lifshutz on the uh, Bruins Breakdown pro- podcast that just dropped um, just dropped a couple of days ago, which I guessed it on. He made a really good point of how Connor Clif- half of Connor Clifton's problem is that he tries too hard, is that he's trying to always make the big play. He's trying to always, always make a difference. And he can do that. He does have the ability to do that. But there is a such thing as picking your spots. Yeah. At least for this game, he did a fantastic job of picking his spots. And as an added bonus... He made Nicholas Obey Kubel's face into pudding. And that was, did, did you see that fight? Yeah. He landed three just stiff uppercuts right in his face. I don't even yeah. understand how he stayed up after that. Marshawn tied it up with a poke and an ugly scrum in the crease with about eight minutes to go. Yeah. Not the prettiest goal, but a tie game's a tie game. And just as I was writing the notes of that, it was an ugly goal, but we'll take it. Curley mm-hmm. follows it up with a uh, follows it up with a, a snipe on a rush, like thirty seconds later. Right. Yeah. Curley Curley actually had a beautiful game one in this series and had a couple of shots on goal. looked looked like he was about to break through. Didn't do it. So mm-hmm. it was actually really nice to see him get the game winner in game two. Yeah. He. I think he needs to. He has a long range. He has a good long range shot that I think he needs to use a little bit more. And that proved that was an absolute pill right off the post and in past Brian Elliott's glove hand. Elliott played great. Elliott did. Yeah, he was he was just as good as Rask in that in that game too. For someone who is supposed to be the goaltender of the future, I I've been very underwhelmed what I've seen out of Carter Hart. And mm-hmm. impressed with what I've seen about with, out of Brian Elliott yeah. so far in the four games that I've watched. I mean, it was the right call for Carter Hutton not to play that second game. Yeah, it was. It was, and he and you know he was he was very he was very good. He did give up that that dirty, greasy, grimy goal, and then just I don't know how many goalies would have stopped that Corrali shot. Yeah, but yeah, and that was a game where the lower lines kind of took kind of took the mantle Kirali getting the game winner Anders Bjork was great on the penalty kill and he set up he started the transition into that play of Kirali's game winning goal and like I said Connor Clifton um also a fantastic game with Matt Grizzlick and Jake DeBrusque with Matt Grizzlick apparently coming back for tomorrow for tonight's game do you sit Clifton with the momentum of this game? Or do, do you play Clifton with the momentum of this game? Or do you sit him and keep in like a Kevin Miller? I mean, my simple answer for for that is just the idea of momentum after five days off. I, I don't know if there is momentum really coming off of that. You can practice a couple of times, which obviously they're doing, but... Right. If it was two days later, yeah, sure. I think it would be right. a lot. I think it would be different if it was... He wouldn't have been sat if DeBrusque was supposed to come back for the Buffalo series. That never happened. Momentum is is a wild thing, especially in hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, Clifton had a good game, but I don't even know if I want to call it momentum really at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after after after, I totally agree. After five days, it's been it's it's moot. Um, and I got I actually got called out this morning for just getting the idea 
that when Grizzly comes back, Clifton should sit because Bruins fans are once again glomming on to the shiny, glomming on to the shiny, yeah. um, and saying Clifton should play. Clifton Cassidy shouldn't take Clifton out of the lineup. Well, Grizzly's coming back, so your choice is keep keep in Clifton or t- keep in Clifton or put in Grizzly, and you're gonna put in Grizzly ten times out of ten. Yeah, I mean, let's not forget Grizz is also at the top of uh, scores for this team. Mm-hmm. He's he's a leader on on the points end. He's not the leader anymore, obviously, because of a couple of days off here. But mm-hmm. he's he has offensive capabilities that we haven't seen in a few days. So let's all just calm down. Grizzly is the future. Connor Clifton is not. Yes, exactly. We'll try to convince. Hell, I'd try to convince Ron Francis to take Connor Clifton in the expansion draft. But that's yeah. another. That's another discussion for another time. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I, and I don't. We haven't had glowing things to say about Connor Clifton's game over the course of uh, the last few weeks. I don't think he's a bad player, and maybe he just doesn't fit this system. And that's that's really what jumps out to me about his game. He's not a bad player, and maybe under the right coaching. He could be a totally different guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm not like afraid. if Bruce Boudreau gets a job, yeah. some, someone like that, <laughs> someone who like I'm serious, somebody yeah. who play who who coaches a more freewheeling, wild yeah. and crazy style, maybe Clifton would fit in with that. Yeah. But there aren't it's many coaches Cassidy. that do that now. Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely not Cassidy. I I definitely wouldn't mind seeing him go somewhere, and and not not that I want to push him out the door, but if Cliffy gets picked up by somebody like Seattle or gets moved in a deal, I, I wouldn't be heartbroken. There's other players on this team that could even potentially get moved. DeBrusque's name has been brought up multiple times. I feel like I would have different I would have different feelings if if DeBrusque got moved. But yeah, I kind I, I, I do want to kind of touch on that. Um, last night on the 31 Thoughts podcast, Elliot Friedman uh, reported that the Canucks are trying to move Jake Vertanen and Boston is sniffing around and the Canucks responded by wanting Jake DeBrusque in any deal that involves Vertanen and I'm hanging up the phone. I'm hanging up the phone and then I'm laughing. That is, no, no. I get Jim Benning's job is on the line right now, but sit down. <laughs> no homerism aside. Yeah, like that. That deal makes no sense for Boston. No, it does and the not. The fact that there are Boston fans interested in that deal right now—it's like just—it's because he's big. Yeah. Here's the argument that I heard this morning: If Cassidy can ring out something out of Nick Ritchie, he should be able to ring out something out of Jake Bertanen because DeBrusque's stock is plummeting. You should trade him now before it gets too low. And I put the phone down. And I was like, that's enough for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're all very aware that DeBrusque can be streaky. And yes, we've touched on that many times. Let's let's let him get a hot streak and then let's talk about moving him. Oh, but then they're not gonna want to anymore. <laughs> they're yeah, gonna be like, no, he's playing great. Why wouldn't you move him? Okay. Exactly. Exactly. So it's it's just damned if you do and damned if you don't. And and I saw a stat uh last 35 games, Jake Bertanen has five points. Sign him up. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm set with that. Yeah, exactly. No, well, to to put a bow, I guess, on the Philadelphia series, even though Game Two was technically a comeback, it wasn't it wasn't much of a comeback. It was a one goal thing. However, Game One, larger comeback. This team is consistently coming back. We talked about this on the last podcast. Is it sustainable? No, it's not. 
and then they make it fucking sustainable for two more games. <laughs> I just, I don't know where I'm at with this team. It's impressive as hell. Don't get me wrong. The team has heart. The team's not going away. Mm-hmm. But I would really, really like to see, especially in a game like game two, let's take a, take that lead. Let Rask sit back a little bit. Instead, Rask was on that mm-hmm. entire game. It's almost it's almost a benefit that the Sabres issue happened because I think from a mental standpoint, coming off of that game, Rask probably needed a few days. That was, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that was the first time he played two consecutive games so far this that year. That is correct, yes. Yeah. yeah, Cassidy had been pretty consistent in, um, in, in putting Halak and Rask in but i think i think um with no problems by the way with no problems a lock has been excellent as well yes yes he has he has been great and um but i think i think cassidy giving rask a chance to uh, giving rask a chance to continue his you know momentum um like he had like he didn't have the best game in in philly but in the first game in philly but he the great goalies don't let in don't let in the two uh, one goal and they don't let in the six five goal. That's right. And Rask had to be the latter and he was that. So then on Friday he kept that up and had a fanta- had a fantastic game. I if I had to guess just by watching the second game, I would guesstimate that maybe Rask moved about ten feet the entire game. He was poised. He was calm. He was quick. It was just, he wasn't, he wasn't flailing. He was just, that's when you know he's on, when he's not, when he's barely moving. And it's just that quick twitch, that quick twitch intensity, especially on that, that penalty shot that on Farabee. I was just about to say that. Farabee had no chance. No, he looked, he looked incredibly confident. And if you actually watch the replay, he's starting to go down into that position, knowing exactly where that puck's going. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he was so on that, that had no chance. Farabee, I don't even think, put it anywhere close to like that was not a great attempt to begin with mm-hmm. Faraby, i think Faraby just shot it right at his pad i think he was trying yeah. to go five hole but then he was trying Ross yeah. just kind of went just kind of lightning quick just closed the five hole yep now that was that was an excellent game out of rask and, and like i said before excellent game out of elliot too mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the uh the offenses just were not clicking in the same way as they were the night before right that said the night before Pasta was incredible, and I feel like we don't even need to get that deep diving into Pasta Talk because I feel like we're going to have so many opportunities throughout this season to just gloat about this insane this insane talent that we have. He has 43 shot attempts his first four games back. Yeah. He's already tied for, like, top of the league in, in goals, in points scored. Like, yeah. he was, when I looked the other day, it was like, I think he was, like, tied, granted, with a bunch of people, but he was tied for fifth yeah. in the league. Yep. He just started playing yeah, like a week exactly. ago. It's fucking yeah, insane. Exactly. 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 It makes Cassidy's job a whole lot easier because he knows that when he puts that top line out there, you know, they're gonna they're gonna create havoc. But it was with that, it was nice to see the depth carry the day on Friday. And it, it was also nice to get that W in a good game, knowing full well because it had already been announced that the Sabres games weren't happening. Mm-hmm. So to to kind of soak in that last game right before the Super Bowl, right before a couple of days off, mm-hmm. to to go into it with a W. Mm-hmm. 
and now we're heading to play the Rangers. Mm-hmm. That we are. I'm, I, I, I will say that I'm very disappointed that we're not playing the Sabres right now. Um, but they, as of right now, have nine players on the COVID list. Rasmus Stalin was just added yesterday. I saw that. They are a mess right now. Yeah. And they are righteously angry with the New Jersey Devils. And they have every right to be. Absolutely. They fucked them over. They absolutely fucked them over. And, and in turn... The entire division is getting fucked over. Exactly. Yes. Schedules are getting pulled apart all over the place. Uh, it, right before we started recording, you said that uh, there was another another game that was announced that they wouldn't be playing. Yep, the fifteenth against New Jersey at the T, which was supposed to be our first home game in forever, and now that's being pushed back. <laughs> yeah. And that's a Monday game, and mm-hmm. then game two of that two game set is supposed to be Thursday. So three mm-hmm. days off in between that initial game, maybe something changes, but honestly looking at the devil situation, it's their, their entire roster, like their yep. entire roster is wiped out right now. Right. Yep. Yep. So I, I, uh, I can almost imagine that that game, uh, what, what's that date? The 18th may not get played. And yeah. then we're right back against the flyers for a game. Like this division is absolutely insane right now. And it we're, we're clearly the only division that's really getting affected by it. Right. At least. Well, well, there is, there is also to this extent. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 my point. Because Colorado is also getting Colorado and Minnesota are also having problems too. But to yeah. this to, to this extent, the fact that the way that there's been a domino effect has yeah. really really ravaged the East. Well, I mean, this is the downside of keeping the divisions tight and on top of each other like this. Mm-hmm. Oh this yeah. This is also sure. this is also by design. This mm-hmm. isn't spreading to the entire league because of one stupid fucking New Jersey franchise. <laughs> this isn't spreading to the entire league. It's only affecting this division. So right. in, in a way, that's some point of containment that the NHL is accomplishing with these divisions. Yeah, if you if the NHL wants to take a silver lining, there you go, because there are not many to be had right now. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure Bettman is like somewhere with his head in his hands right now, going, What the fuck? What 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 do we do? What do we yeah. do? We're gonna have we're gonna have at some point, we're probably going to have a team playing four straight games, four games in four days, just to make the deadline. Yeah, I mean, they the sh- stars starting their year like they did. Exactly. Like, we're we're cramming too much, and it's going to be late March. It's going to be April that these games get made up. Mm-hmm. Like according to what's being released, at least by the Bruins that I've seen mm-hmm. so far, mm-hmm. it's like these. You're talking about right before the playoff push. These guys are going to get fucking wiped. Mm-hmm. That they are, and it's 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 bad. It's going to be bad because. Because that's going to be that's going to create a lot of injuries, and that's going to create a lot of we're going to see a lot we're going to see a lot of tax squads, especially towards the end of the year. Mm-hmm. I think what the NHL should have done was they should have had like a target date, and then maybe put like a two week buffer on it, because there was good, you cannot set this up and not think that there were going to be delays. At least the M, when the MLS set up their schedule, they were like. Yeah, they're going to be games. They set they set it up perfectly with a safety net that was, I think, about 17, 18 days from their target date. That's what the NHL should have done. Yeah, but of course, the NHL is behind the behind the eight ball, like with everything. Yeah, I mean, this past summer, I actually brought up that idea about the NFL schedule. I think it was right before the NFL schedule came out, saying mm-hmm. that they should knock the games down to like fourteen and put in place multiple bye weeks knowing full well that there's a good chance, in some cases a likelihood, 
that they are going to have to make up a game and do it in a weird spot. And yeah, they, they got through the season, obviously. We just celebrated the Super Bowl, but there was also a few instances, and they're escaping me off the top of my head right now, but Tennessee. There, were, there was teams, yeah, they played multiple games in like two games in like a five-day span or four-day four span. Yep. That's, that's not good, man. Well, that's the owners... The owners of in the NFL, the owners floated that idea of having like a, having a fifteen game season with multiple bye weeks, and Goodell shot it down as he is wont to do. Yep. <laughs> so, I think the, the NHL should have had a contingency, a contingency in the scheduling, and they but they didn't, which is why they're which is why they're going to stuff this schedule like a sausage towards the end of the year, and it's going to be ugly. You were definitely we're, we're feeling the effects of it now, but we're really going to be feeling the effects of it come March, April. Well, speaking of stuffing them like a sausage, I am so excited about this Ranger series. Living in Connecticut, we are so split down the middle in certain areas with Ranger fans, Bruins fans, even Islanders fans creep in, but it's mostly Rangers around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, since I I live just outside of Hartford, since we lost the Whalers years and years ago more and more Rangers fans have slowly appeared and come out of the fucking holes that they're from. I forget sometimes you live in New York, Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah. Or, or what did, what was it called the other day? Uh, Stephen Colbert mm. called us uh, New York's Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that's part that's of, a, I got, yeah. I kind of got yeah. mad about it because it was all under the guise of insulting New Haven pizza, which if you're listening and you've never had New Haven pizza, I don't want to ever hear your pizza opinions. Um, then I will never <laughs> speak on pizza because I've never had New England pizza. <laughs> but I am so excited about playing the Rangers because I think this team is so incredibly beatable. I don't mm-hmm. want to jump the gun here uh, because we still have to get to our interview. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go ahead and give you the predictions right now. We're playing the Rangers twice. We're beating them both times, and I don't think either game is close. I'm going back on a hot streak. I feel it. Well... Um, there are a few players on the Rangers that I'm very excited to watch. And when we get to the, when I get to the interview with, when we get to the interview with Sapboy Steven, where we talk a lot about, uh, Adam Fox, he is quickly becoming one of the best young defense defensemen in the, uh, NHL, making, uh, Tony D'Angelo completely obsolete where he deserves to be. I don't know who that is. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, excuse me, NYR fan three one eight six five two four. Oh yeah, yeah, I've talked to him. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I had, a, I'd have, I've, I've had brief conversations with him. Yeah, good dude. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> they do have, they do have some players that I am excited about. Uh, Igor Shishirkin is a very, is a very good goaltender. Yeah. Um, but I will say this about the Rangers, and I didn't get to this with my interview with Steven. And I'm kind of kicking myself for it. I think their coach is over their head, over his head. David Quinn is not an NHL coach. I'm sorry. Um, the player part of the rebuild is complete, I believe. Lafanier, Capo Caco, Pavel Bushnevich, Adam Fox, Keandre Miller, Jacob Truba. They have a lot of good players. The pillars are there. The pillars are there. They just have to actually put the house together. And, and exactly, I, exactly. I agree with you. I don't think Quinn is the guy to build that house. Nope. No, he's not. He is not. So... Far be it for me to agree with you, um, but as we said at the beginning of the show, you're trying to build me up. You're trying to pull me up. So 
I will take your hands and I will let you try to pull me up to your level. And I will say that the Rangers will lose both games and maybe one of the games is close, but there is a blowout in there somewhere. Yeah. I think this is a good time. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and run into that interview that you had with stat boy, Steven, you want to set it up? So his, his name is Statboy Steven, uh, at Statboy underscore Steven. He is a fantastic Twitter follower, and he has a podcast called The Rangers Under Review, in which you can find on SoundCloud. Uh, he interviews prospects, and he is a, he's a great statistical follow. And if you are at all interested in Rangers prospects or obscure statistics, Follow him on Twitter. He's great. And he's also he's also a great conversationalist. So he is a Dutch Rangers fan living in Austria. So we've got a global reach. Hello, Short Shift Pod listeners. I am here today with Stat Boy Steven, a um a Avid Rangers fan with a penchant for statistics and prospects. So I do have a couple of I do have a couple of questions, kind of to lead off. Tell us a little bit about yourself and um, how a someone from Austria becomes a Rangers fan. Are you a part of the Thomas Bachberg fan club? <laughs> well, actually, I'm from the Netherlands originally. Um, I moved to South Africa when I was 22. Uh, grew up there. Then became a huge rugby fan. But ever since I was little, I was already a hockey fan because when I was about six or seven years old, my parents were going through a rough divorce and they were fighting all the time. And there was this uh, this TV station. It was the predecessor to Eurosport. Um, yep. Oh, screen Sport. And they were showing NHL highlights every day. So every day after school, when I come, when I came home, I would sit on the couch and watch NHL highlights and I just I, I loved watching just just highlights of all the games and um, yeah as a kid I picked a team and you know when kids pick teams they pick teams for the weirdest reasons like they like the color of the jersey or there's there's one player and then they think the name sounds funny for me it was the Rangers because they were the only team without a logo on their jersey and the seven-year-old me thought that was really weird um, and that's how I became a Rangers fan. And, and um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I moved to Austria for work and uh, living in Vienna, beautiful city. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there's there's so much hockey to 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 see in Europe. Um, so I like to go to the Czech Republic and see a Sparta Prague game or fly to Sweden for a game. And, and every year, the World Championships is somewhere else. Uh, I've been to the World Championships in Denmark, and there was one in Slovakia, which is literally 45 minutes from Vienna. So that was that was pretty cool two years ago. That sounds like the life, my man. That sounds great. It's it's a lot of fun. And um, Bratislava, which is 45 minutes from Vienna, used to have a KHL team. So a couple of times a year, I would go there with some friends and watch some actual KHL hockey. Um, and yeah, then, you know, uh, after I moved to Vienna and started traveling around for work, um, I noticed that, you know, I have the opportunity to go and, and see all these Ranger prospects like play in person because the Rangers the last couple of years had this tendency to draft a lot of European players like Vitaly Kravtsov, who went ninth overall and Nils Lundqvist, who went in the late first round in 2018. Um, and Elias Anderson went seventh overall, of course, uh, Philip Hedl and 
Filipino didn't really play hockey for his team after the draft, but he did play a couple of games in the Czech Republic after he was drafted for the national team, which is pretty cool. So I, I went to uh, to one of the national team games, and and you get to watch like your Ranger prospects play in person, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, it sounds like kind of a perfect storm there, you know. You uh, it's kind of like someone who would be living in Sweden in the '90s would probably become Red Wings fans because of Hawken Anderson's tendency to draft in the Scandinavian. It's in the Scandinavias, so that works yeah, out pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I, I've actually noticed. Um, at Statboy underscore Steven is his Twitter handle. He's a great follow if you're very curious about Rangers prospects and statistics therein. Um, something that I'm curious about is, um, since you're pretty well tapped into the prospect scene, uh, give us a couple of Rangers prospects that, that you're looking forward to seeing gone the uh, Ranger Shield. Uh, well, number one for me is Nils Lundqvist, um, and a lot of Ranger fans know about him. Maybe other fans don't know him that, that well, but he's been playing in the SHL ever since he was drafted last year, put up uh, numbers that for someone his age were out of this world. He, he, he just he broke careers left and right when it comes to production. Um, and it's not production is not everything for a defenseman, but when you watch him play, he's so dominant. And the Rangers have been very lucky to add a guy like Adam Fox to their to their blue line. I uh, wanted to touch on him later. He's a yeah. stud. He is an absolute he is. stud. He is. They traded a second and a third round pick for him. That third became a second round pick when he played more than 30 games because there was a condition there. Um, but Nils Lundqvist is, is very much the same player as Adam Fox. And the Rangers on the, on the blue line have, have had some problems the last couple of years. You know, they were aging. They traded McDonough to, uh, to Tampa Bay. Um, they bought out Dan Girardi. They had to give up a second round pick to get rid of Mark Stahl. Um, and now they have Jacob Truba. He's a little bit overpaid, you could say, but he's he's the only the only defenseman with more than two years' experience at the moment on the blue that's, line. That's crazy! How it's, how greenhorn the Rangers back line is right it's now. Such a young blue line with Ryan Lindgren, Keandre Miller, uh, Adam Fox, and then we have Nils Lundqvist, who's twenty in Sweden. We have Zach Jones, who's nineteen or who just turned twenty, uh, still in college. Matt Robertson, who's 19 in the WHL, Braden Schneider, who we drafted uh, last October. Right. So there's, there's there's so many young defensemen in the in the Rangers organization that that you know that the Ranger fans should be excited about. There's another guy, Hunter Skinner, who won uh, gold with the World Junior Team uh, of the United States mm-hmm. last month. Um, he's now playing in the ECHL, which is weird for a 19 year old defenseman, but COVID changed everything. Yeah, and, COVID changed everything, and um, Hartford's loaded too. Uh, oh, Hartford! Hartford has some really good prospects. Yeah. We have Morgan Barron, who was a fifth round pick who played for Cornell mm-hmm. in college. Uh, one of my personal favorites, Patrick Kodorenko, undrafted free agent. They signed him last year in March. Uh, he used to play with Adam Fox and Ryan Lindgren for the uh, US NTDP, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, know Ryan Lindgren well. We drafted him. <laughs> oh no! Ryan Lindgren was part of, of of one of the best trades under Jeff Gordon for the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Um, look, I love Rick Nash as a player, but when his contract was ending at that deadline, we were able to get. And I still remember this: Ryan Spooner, 
Ryan Lindgren, a first-round pick, and Med Bolesky for ba- basically six weeks of Rick Nash. And that was, that was a huge haul. And then Jeff Gordon turned around and traded Ryan Spooner for Ryan Strome, who is now our second-line center. Mm-hmm. And that, that first-round pick was used to draft K. Andre Miller. So, yeah, it was a good trade for us. Yeah, Bruins fans love that for you. How nice for you. <laughs> Thank you very also, much. Well, and also the fact that Jeff Gordon was our general manager oh. when Mike Con- Michael Connell got fired. And before Peter Shirelli was hired, Jeff Gordon was our general manager for about six weeks. And he was very integral in um, getting Mark Savard to come here. So yeah. we owe him a we owe him a debt there, and it sounds like he's doing he's doing a great job over there for the Rangers. But it also sounds like Chris Jury is kind of knocking on the door uh, to be the next one. Uh, have any thoughts about that? Yeah, Chris Drury uh, has gotten some interest from other teams over the last couple of years. Um, in the last 12 months alone, the Buffalo Sabres were interested in him. Mm-hmm. And I think last week, even the Pittsburgh Penguins were given permission to, to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided to stay. And the Rangers gave him a little, a little pay rise, I guess. Gave him a, a, new, a new title. Instead of assistant general manager, he's now associate general manager, which sounds like something from the office. Yeah, it really does. It really does. <laughs> but, it, but, it, but it shows that by date that they're like he's 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 the heir apparent. It shows it shows that that they have a contingency plan for the future. Uh, John John Davidson, our president, signed a five year contract in 2019 when he joined the organization. Mm-hmm. He's turning 68 next year. After this season, he has two uh, three years left. So maybe in three years, when he is 72, 71, 72 he will retire or go into more of an advisory role and Gordon moves on to be president and Drury becomes a general manager. And Ranger fans are not a big fan of Chris Drury because of his time in New York as a player, but you cannot really close to you guys. Look, you cannot really blame a player for signing a contract, offering him like like 30 million over five years uh, when his knees are shot. If you want to blame someone, you blame Glenn Sather, who was the GM at the time. I will never blame a player for signing a contract that offers him millions of dollars. State of the Rangers rebuild right now. As a Rangers fan who, who has his eyes firmly locked, what do you think? Um, I, look, I'm, I'm the type of person that is telling other fans all the time, just be patient because Ranger fans think, oh, we made the playoffs last year. So now, now we're going to compete. You know, Now we're going to win a cup, but... It just it doesn't work that way. It, it, you don't turn around a franchise in a year or two. And if you look at last season and if you look at it with uh, objectively, then the Rangers, yes, they technically made the playoff, but it was a 2014 format and they barely squeaked in. Yeah. And on top of that, it was a season where four players put up career numbers. You had Panarin, Zibanejad, Strom and D'Angelo all putting up numbers that were much better than their career average. That is super rare already. So for the Rangers to be the same team, not to be better, but to be the same team as last year, all those four players would have to replicate that that super season they all had. And if you think four players putting up career years is rare, having those same four players replicated the following year all together, yeah, that's never going to happen. And the Rangers now moved on from from D'Angelo, 
Zibanejad's having a slow start. Strom is having a slow start. Panarin is still Panarin. I mean, he has 15 points in 10 games. He's fine. Panarin, Panarin's on another planet. <laughs> Panarin, Panarin was a hard finalist last season. And I, I understand why he didn't win it because he went up against McKinnon and Dreisaitl. But there was certainly a case to be made for him to win it. Uh, just like Jager in 2006 when he lost out to Joe Thornton. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that, that, that's the one I'm more upset about, to be honest. But uh, Panarin is a great player. Uh, probably the, the best player, together with Jager, the best player I've ever seen in a Rangers jersey. The, the, the best skater. Wow. Uh, and that's a, that, that's a deep history there. Yeah. And I, I well, of course, Brian Leach is a Hall of Famer. I think Panarin will be in the Hall of Fame. He only entered the league when he was 24. But if he continues to play like this for another six, seven years... Mm-hmm. Then there's no reason he shouldn't be he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He is, I think, fourth or fifth overall in points since entering the league. So he's a great player. But the other players are not really having that same kind of production they had last season. So the Rangers started off a little bit slow, which is fine. This is year three of the rebuild. And if you look at other teams like the Penguins and the Blackhawks and the Kings, if you look at their blueprint for rebuilding and getting to a cup. It takes about four to five years, and the Rangers just drafted first overall. If if the Rangers can be competitive in 20, 2023, 2024, that's, that's basically how I see the window opening up. Uh, so we still have a couple of years. Our, our young guys on the blue line will, may, will be on the team. Our young forwards like Philip Hedl and Capo Caco and Julian Gauthier will have time to develop. Fidel Kravtsov hopefully will make the team. So, and, and our, our, our starting goalie is only 24, 25 years old. So, there, there's no rush. Shusherskin and Georgiev is a, are a very solid goaltending tandem. And it's actually really nice to hear a um, fan of an original six team that has a very measured approach to this, whereas you have a lot of fans, you know, a lot of Bruins fans who are very similar that are saying, like, since we ha- you have Panarin and Sabanajad, are clamoring for to compete now, but knowing that one thing that I've really respected about how the Rangers have done this is the letter, you know, the, 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 the letter that came out and said, look, mm-hmm. this is what we're doing. Have some patience. And it sounds like, sounds like you're on board with that. And it's real, and it's, re- and you're the one that's, t- that's talking, uh, a lot of fans off the ledge, which is kind of the ethos of our show, <laughs> talking the Bruins fans off the ledge. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and if, if you if you look at a, a proper rebuild, um, like the Penguins, they drafted Crosby in two thousand five. They won a cup in two thousand nine. There's a four year gap there. Mm-hmm. And you know the the Kings, they drafted Dowdy second overall in two thousand eight. They won a cup in twenty twelve. There's also a four year gap. Mm-hmm. With the, the Blackhawks, did it a little bit faster. They drafted Kane in two thousand seven. Won a cup in twenty ten. But they added Marion Hosa in two thousand nine. Right. I think Panarin is basically the Rangers version of Marion Hosa. And we have our we've had our high picks. We have our young players. We just need some veterans to add to be added to the team, and then we're ready to go. And and I would much rather take a year or two extra, you know, to get that team to the point where you are a contender for over a decade. You make the final several times, even if you only win it once, like the Bruins. The Bruins have made the, the cup final in 2011, 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and then 2019, 
That's correct. Yes. Yeah. So you you make the cup final three times in a decade. Yeah, you only win it once, but at least you're watching you're watching playoff hockey and you're winning. You know, you you don't just have a first round exit like the Carolina Hurricanes. Yeah, okay, they're great. They won a cup in 2006. What else? Yeah, right. right. They, 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 then they miss the playoffs seven years in a row. Then they make the playoffs. They go to the to the to the conference champion to the conference final, and, and get housed by the Bruins. <laughs> and then and then great. But before that, you yeah. know, so they they have like three times that they make the postseason where they go really far. But in between those three times, there are like six seven year gaps where they don't make the playoffs. I don't want the I don't want my team. To, to, to be that I want my team to be like the Bruins be a be a uh, you know make the playoffs every year have good deep runs and then hope for the best hope for a cup or two and if you only come away with one cup great I would much rather win one cup and be competitive for a decade than to win a cup now a cup in 10 years and nothing in between that is an excellent answer and I completely agree with you and that is a perfect segue into my next question uh since our series with the Buffalo Sabres was postponed due to COVID shenanigans, our next series is against the New York, New York Rangers. Um, what do you think? Like, what, like obviously, the, the Bruins are off to a very fast start right now. Um, are there any players that you're keeping an eye on other than, you know, Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand? Any play, any, and anything about the team that you are looking for? In this series, um, well, for, first of all, I'm I'm just excited that the Rangers are finally in a division with an original six team because thrilled, the, absolutely the Rangers, thrilled. The Rangers have never been. I mean, when I grew up, or, or like, and not even grew up, like a decade ago, you had the Blackhawks and the Red Wings in one division. Mm-hmm. Then you had the Maple Leafs, the Canadians, and the Bruins in the, in another, mm-hmm. and the Rangers were stuck in the Atlantic Division as the only original six team. And the NHL doesn't really have that much to promote the game. Honestly, the NHL really sucks at promoting their own product. But we've said that we have said that on the show many times. It's like the the the, the last time that the NHL did did anything positive about promoting their own product was introducing the shootout, and that was sixteen years ago. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and 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 having the Rangers and, and the Bruins in, in the same division is a great original six matchup. It's a rivalry that has, has cooled off over the last few decades. Hopefully that can heat up again. Um, but yeah, look, looking at the Bruins, um, of course, your, your, your top line with, with Bergeron. I'm a huge Bergeron fan. I think he's one of the best centers in the last 20, 30 years in the NHL. Very underrated. Uh, Pasternak, nothing needs to be said about him. Um, I think the Bruins uh, made a really interesting deal with the Anaheim Ducks, getting Andre Cachet in exchange for David Bacchus. That was, yeah, I think getting rid of David Bacchus was, was of course, a good thing. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm just curious to to see how your defense holds up. Uh, you know, losing out Zdeno Chara and Tori Krug. Uh, I know Charlie McAvoy is still there and uh, Brendan Carlo, but see how your defense does. And um yeah, I think aside from the top line, I'm not that, that there's not not really a standout forward that 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 I'm worried about as a Rangers fan, mm-hmm. but I know that that your depth can really uh, it can really kill opponents. That is that is the ethos of the team. It's um, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Not you know we'll get you with the first with the first line. I'll you know 
we'll wear you down with the two through four. And then the first line will go in for the kill shot. That's basically been our formula for the last three years and it's worked. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, 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 I would much rather play the Colorado Avalanche that have a great top line too, mm-hmm. but their depth is, is, is not something that worries me at all. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And people were, people were trumpeting the Avalanche as cup favorites in the preseason in the, uh, before the season, but now it's early on here, you know, COVID notwithstanding, uh, they have a little bit of a middling start right now, but our, but the Bruins depth has led them to eight, one and two to start the year. So, um, yep. fantastic. Uh, thank you for your insight on that. I actually did have one more question about the, uh, about, uh, the Rangers and here at the short shift, we are very, um, logo and aesthetics inclined. So I want to ask you about one of the best retro reverse retro jerseys in this whole entire set, Lady Liberty. Um, you, you think it's one of the best. Okay. No, I do. I, I love it. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. And I think there's a certain magic in that Jersey. Every highlight I've ever seen in that Jersey, something great happens. Um, well, that's actually because, you know, most of the, there are a lot of good things that happen in the original Liberty Jersey. Uh, of course, the longest shootout in, in league history for many, many years mm-hmm. when the Rangers beat the Capitals where Mark Malik scored between his legs. Um, never seen, never seen a dude that big move like that. Was it's amazing. <laughs> uh, um, no Ranger fan uh, had predicted that. I'm pretty sure Mario Malik didn't even know what was going to happen. Um, Wayne Gretzky's last uh, uh, postseason hat trick was in the Liberty jersey against the Flyers in 1997. So there are some good moments in in the original Lady Liberty jersey. Uh-huh. The the current one. Look, it's not a bad jersey, um, but my first impression when it was released was it looks a little bit like a practice jersey. It's a little bit bland. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the whole line was announced, when the name Reverse Retro was announced, I was like, ooh, okay, let's go. Reverse Retro. I was really I was really liking the name. I will, I was, admit, I will admit I was kind of hoping for like the old Shield, the old Shield jerseys. And this is the thing. There was nothing retro or yeah. sorry. There was nothing reverse about our retro jersey. <laughs> if, you, if you try to sell me something and you call it reverse retro, what I'm thinking is, because the Rangers have had some, some interesting jerseys over the years. They had the Heritage jersey, uh, the Navy jersey with uh, the letters New York diagonally on their jersey. Right. If they would have made a cream colored version of that, that's a reverse retro for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah um, the, the, the shield jersey, the shield jersey where they have the lo- the logo, but it's it's cream with the blue on the blue shoulders. Yeah, something something like that. Yeah, or the, the late seventies. Yeah, or the winter classic jersey we had with the shield that was cream colored in twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Make that navy with the logo on it. Do something new. But what we got was basically a watered down version of the Liberty jersey that honestly looked like a Chinese knockoff of the original one. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, no, it, and and I bought one because it's still a nice jersey. It's just I, my expectations were so much higher. I expected so much more from the reverse retro line. Uh, there were some really good jerseys in the reverse retro line, though. The Arizona Coyotes is, of course, a, a fan favorite across the league. Um, Minnesota Wild's my favorite. The Wild is my favorite out of all of them. The Minnesota Wild didn't really look great when it was released, yeah. but on the ice, it looked amazing. Yep, um, exactly. But my, my, my favorite alternate jersey, and this is not a reverse retro jersey this season, is actually uh, 
the black and neon green Dallas Stars jerseys. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. The roller derby jerseys. No. What, what I would have wanted as a Rangers fan, and this would have never happened because the Rangers are very, uh, uh, what's the word? They're very conservative in terms of you know trying something new. You know, they're very. They, they lean on traditions. Yeah, that's, that, that's 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 a middle six thing. That's totally an original six thing. Yeah, that's an original six team, and I understand. Even though the Blackhawks have had more alternate jerseys than the rest of the league combined in the last 15 years with all their outdoor games. Right. But I, what I would have wanted to see was the Rangers go with some version of what the Dallas Stars did, but then instead of neon green, go with neon blue. That would have been something new, something fresh. Uh, but instead, we got another Liberty jersey, and it's not bad. But it's, I mean, it's a good jersey. I think they could have done better. Well, uh, I will disagree with that. I do. I do love the logo. I love the Lady Liberty logo. I also, also the, the Liberty jersey looks a lot better on the ice when the players are wearing uh, red pants. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a fan, if you have to wear red pants to make a jersey look good, I'm not sure. Okay, understood. I will. I, I respect the opinion. <laughs> uh, Steve, thank you, thank you very much in uh, for joining us. Um, and really looking forward to seeing what your team has on the ice. Um, I'm real. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, to watching Adam Fox. Like I said, he is he's quickly becoming one of the best defensemen, best mm-hmm. young defensemen in the league. And obviously, of course, seeing Artemi Panarin on the ice is going to be is going to be great as well. And uh, Keandre Miller on defense is going Keandre to be... Keandre Miller as well, yes. Going to be fun to watch. He's wearing 79, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a number you see often for a defenseman or for any hockey player. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is another thing. I, I see a lot of Ranger fans complain about the number 79. Oh, he should pick a normal number. What's a normal number? 79 is a normal number, but... Crosby, Crosby wears, Crosby wears 86. What's, what's, what's 87. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Crosby went with 87, uh, Butch Nevis, 80, 89, yeah. um, uh, McDavid's 97. Yeah. I mean, what are you complaining about? So just, just what a weird thing a, to get mad about. Let us pick a number. You know, weird thing to get mad about. That's so strange. <laughs> as long as there's no little plus in the middle. Oh, sorry. Uh, if you don't mind, let me quickly tell a story about something that happened in the night. Oh, the 90s. go for it. So, th- as long as there's no little plus on the jersey, I'm happy. So, in the 90s, there was a player from Chile, Ivan Zamorano, who played for Italian football team Internazionale from Milan. He had number nine. But then Ronaldo, the Brazilian Ronaldo, the old Ronaldo, yep. uh, moved to Inter and he was given number nine. So Ivan Zamorano switched to number 18, but he had the equipment manager sew on a little plus between the one and the eight. And the eight so we'll read one plus eight. So he could still technically wear number nine. As long as hockey players don't do that time, kind, kind of stuff, then I don't care what number they wear. You know, that's, 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 if, that's ridiculous. If you want to wear 79, just go for it. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that just popped in my head. That story. That's ridiculous. That's that's really funny. <laughs> I, I love how I love how jersey numbers are so sacred. It's so sacred, especially in certain sports. And, and, and this is this is the thing that I love to ask. You know, I do my prospect interviews, and one of the questions I always ask is, 
What's your favorite jersey number? Is there a number that has special meaning to you? Like Vitaly Kravtsov, he wears number 74. And the reason behind it is because in, in Russia, every region or every oblast has a different number on the car's license plates. Mm. And the, the region of Chelyabinsk, where he grew up, has number 74. So that's why he picked number 74. It's such a random, it's a random number, but it has a story behind it. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. 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 So it's just kind of just a shout out to his hometown. Exactly. Like Yarma Yaga had number 68 because that's the year of the Prague Spring where the Czech uh, people had an uprising against the Soviets. Uh, I learned something today. <laughs> so he honored by num wearing number 68. And this is interesting for Bruins fans too. Wearing number 68, he's honoring his country's history of the Prague, the Prague Spring, the uprising against the Soviets. That's, that's brilliant. And just another, that's just another point on the Yager is a beauty, is an absolute beauty checklist. He is the yes. man. I love that he's still playing. <laughs> he is. I, I watched him play last season. I have one of the jerseys of his current team. Mm -hmm. it, it's just, it's amazing to watch a guy in his... Uh, Klando? Klando? Uh, Klando. Klando, yeah. Mm -hmm. Ritiri, Klatno Ritiri is Czech for uh, knights. So mm -hmm. right, they're, they're and he has like he has like a minor minority ownership in that. Yeah, he's, he's part he's part owner of the team. Right, right. Mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to do? Tell the owner he can't play. <laughs> but seeing a guy in his forties, you know, still playing at, at at the highest level in the Czech Republic at the time they got relegated, but mm -hmm. you know, still playing hockey in the Czech Republic is just that's it's great. And I always wanted to watch him play live, and I had that opportunity. So, yeah, of course, he took it. How'd he look? How'd he look that day? Uh, I think he scored two goals and had an assist. So it's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 the best. Yamir Yager, yeah, the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was a preseason game, but still, two goals and an assist for a forty-four-year-old. Yep, that's not bad. Not bad at all. Or 46, 47. I don't even know how old he is now, but. I think he's 47. I think he's 47 years old, but still high, very high level and can, can, can still go. I, I'm still mad at the Calgary Flames for how they kind of just like kind of pushed him to the side. He was like, you don't have oh. it anymore. And he was like, all right. I can't over. <laughs> In a week, he's turning 49. <sighs> what a beauty. <laughs> I, just looked, I just looked it up. February 15th, 1972. What an absolute beauty. Yep. And there you have it. That was Stat Boy Steve. A lot of good things to say about the prospects. Not as much about the current team, however. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I'm not worried about the prospects this week, so. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just to me. No, awesome. Awesome. And then, as you said earlier, like he's an excellent Twitter follow. So we got Rangers tonight, February 10th, and then again on Friday, both being played in the city at MSG. Andrew, thanks again for joining me today. And uh, thank you, as always, to Mark from Black and Gold Podcast and BNG Productions for helping us get this out on the air. Awesome. Oh, always, always love recording with you, buddy. All right, homie. I'll talk to you later. See you next week.